Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Episode 9 of Super Entertainment Presents the Television Crossover Universe on the Grand Gignol Network. Coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. Joining me in the studio, well, actually not joining me in the studio, joining me via phone is Ivan Shablowski, convention panelist and lover of cheese. And via Skype is James Boyachuk, CEO of 18th Wall Productions, and returning guest, co-host Chris Nigro. And I am Robert E. Ronsky Jr., author of the Horror Crossover Encyclopedia. We are the TVCU crew. The TVCU crew are a team of crossovers who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots through official crossovers and Easter eggs in order to demonstrate a fictional shared reality that we call the Telgen Crossover Universe. So uh, I want to welcome you all uh, for coming. Chris, welcome back. It's been been several weeks since you've, since you've been on our show. <laughs> well, I ask all the listeners, I thank you for any good reception, and I ask them to keep up their low standards and listen. Yeah, you, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, the show you co-hosted um, is, like, overall our, our second most listened to show. And on iTunes, your show um, is one of the most downloaded shows when, when you were host. I mean, when you were the guest. May the bad taste and the good ratings be <laughs> 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 so chris uh uh we'll start with you in our shameless plugging segment um what what have you got for us to shamelessly plug well i um i'm still working on the centurion novel so i'll get to that next week but an, another novel i'm starting to work on now interrelated superhero novel is called moonstalker and basically it's it, i was inspired by some of the things done in the very excellent uh, B- Batman Incorporated comic that what if we had a teenager who's basically Batman on a budget and in a city like my hometown of Buffalo rather than Gotham City and basically once again I'm go- I'm I'm going I'm superseding the usual mold I'm not going to do a teen hero who's is very good hearted from the start because Moonstalker his alter ego. He will be a character who, how do I put it, he has a very big ego, and he's not the nicest guy in the world, but he perceives himself as such, because when you have an ego like him, how could you be doing anything wrong if he's doing it? So we're going to have questions about that, question the concept of heroism, and his goal basically is not so not only to eliminate the street gangs taking over Buffalo, but basically to create his own gang and take over himself because he thinks he can do it better. All right. And uh, James, how about you? Um, let's see. It came out this month at the very beginning that 18th Wall Productions, thanks to our wonderful readers, has been nominated for a number of awards in the Pulp Arc New Pulp Awards for 2016. We are up Welcome for Best back. Collection. 
Welcome back in the middle of my plug. <laughs> We're up for best collection, best artist. Some of our writers are up for best author, best new author, best short story. So if you think we are the best, please, by all means, head over to their Facebook page, which is just start typing Paul Bark and it'll show up. Go there, follow the instructions, and vote for who you think's best. I would prefer it's us, but follow your heart. <laughs> and then also... Just on the first Friday this month, we released One Mountain at a Time, the first in a series of survivalist thrillers set in the mountains of Colorado. And I believe that's all I have. Oh, one more announcement. And I have just been asked, well, not so much asked as, hey, could you please write this? Asked to write an Arthurian story for After Avalon, an 18th Hmm. wall King Arthur collection, so that'll be interesting. Right, I'm hoping to work on Lovecraftian horror and play with that in Arthurian setting. Ooh. And then I'm also currently, this might not be accepted, we'll see how it goes, but I'm currently writing a story about Excalibur for This Twisted Earth, which is a sort of... What's a good way to describe it? Imagine if Riverworld was less about here are famous people and instead the Earth is messed up in every single historical period is taking place on earth at once Mm. and someone has come into possession of excalibur and thinks maybe he can fix this if he finds the lake near camland and returns excalibur to the lady that's a real double-edged sword of a plot going there james (laughs) (laughs) and that's all of my shameless plugs all right and um that that phone noise in the background was um, Ivan calling in again. Um, he couldn't make it here today in person, and uh, his phone connection is a little off. So if you keep hearing ringing in the background, that's uh, or some beeping, that's us reconnecting to Ivan. Um, so Ivan, what do you got to plug t- besides your phone service? <laughs> yeah, my phone service is awesome. No, um, I don't have any projects that are coming out or have any hope of coming out. But, um, yeah, really, I got nothing. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, you know, little fan things I do that no one's ever going to see. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine because, you know what, you go, to, you go to, like, so many conventions, and I've been to conventions with you, and you're like a rock star. Like, you know everybody. You know, I actually, I've been approached by people I've never met who recognize me from seeing me in my Ghostbusters uniform. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just like when I go to the mall dressed in normal clothes. The, the first time I went to Inconceivable with you was my first convention ever, and and, uh, and my son was with me, of course, and uh, and and we like we like just mingled with like the who's who of conventions <laughs> because of you <laughs> escorting us around like everybody knew who you were <laughs> Ivan well, yeah but that's a very small convention too so yeah yeah that's I, true I the larger conventions i'm not as well recognized you know Ivan, for a guy who goes to so many conventions you are quite an unconventional individual <laughs> unconventional <laughs> conventionalist i think i've heard that somewhere before <laughs> It was probably my echo. That was it, yes. Reverse time echo. All right. Or or maybe it was a Rocky Horror Picture Show. Or maybe I better stop. (laughs) So uh, for my shameless plug, um, I would like to talk about 
um, a little website we call uh, TelligentCrossoverUniverse.com. Um, it's it's the website that um, it was the the inspiration for this podcast, um, and we all work on it. Well, except for Chris, I haven't gotten him to contribute anything to it yet, but uh, the rest of us all work on it. Um, it's a it's a really cool site. Um, on the on there, we we talk about different series and and the crossover connections uh, more so than we do on the podcast because we have guests and stuff. Um, and we cover all kinds of different series, um, live action television, animated television, films. Um, sometimes we dive into video games and, and we, we, we talk about novels and comics and, and uh, we, tried, we try to show how it all fits together. Um, I, I read a review on Reddit of our website where it was like, like all of fiction coexists and it's done right. And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> that's pretty cool." Um, we oh, wow. try. It's not exactly accurate, but it is cool. Right? Yeah, we we don't do it all. We don't do it right, <laughs> but, but we try. Uh, uh, a lot of times, it's just my ramblings and and <laughs> stuff. But um, no, it, um, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. Uh, uh, I I love reading what other people. Contribute to there, and I love getting the feedback I get. Usually, when I post something, I get like 24 hours of you missed this and you forgot this and you got this wrong, and that's okay too because that just makes the site better. Uh, but I also get a lot of oh wow, I didn't know about that, and that's awesome, and stuff like that. Um, so, I, I would recommend that people go there and. Um, also, you can find all of our, our podcasts, um, past and present, um, on the sidebar of the website on the homepage. Um, so, and um, that's also a place where you can find where to buy all my books and uh, announcements about this podcast and, and future book projects and, and just crossover news in general. And so it's a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And uh, I'd also like to um, congratulate um, um, whichever team won the Super Bowl. Um, it was the team <laughs> that I was rooting for. Um, so good for you, team that won. <laughs> yes, way to beat the other guys. Since it is the Tuesday after the Super Bowl. You did sports so well. <laughs> That's and that right. was such a close game, maybe. Yeah, it was a really close game or a slaughter. That was very sporting of you, Rob. <laughs> Give them the congrats. Yeah, actually, because because I'm a Pats fan, I have no stake in this game whatsoever. So I'm just waiting for the, the puppy monkey baby. And if you haven't seen... One of these days, the Bills are going to make a comeback. <laughs> Ivan, did that last pun of mine, um, was it that on... Did it... Not get hurt, or was it just that unfunny? You can be honest. Well, I actually, even though I live in New England, I don't root for the Patriots. I root for the Buffalo Bills and the Cleveland Browns. That's very sporting of you. Yeah. I'm a glutton for punishment. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. My son is a Seahawks fan, and uh, last year was rough on our relationship. I can imagine. Yeah. Nothing destroys the father-son bond more than disagreements in who loves what sports team. Yeah, for for two days after the Super Bowl, he wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> so. 
So <laughs> you guys cheated. <laughs> yeah, he was he, he was really upset. I don't take sports as seriously as he does. I don't know. I, I raised him to be a nerd, and he still turned out to be a sports fan. I failed. <laughs> Everybody has to be their own person. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, except for Chris. <laughs> We're going to take a commercial break, and then when we come back, we will have Kevin T. Heim on, um, who I've heard is also having some phone difficulties. So um, we'll try to manage through for the um, for the interview. Um, but if we cut out, we might have some awkward pauses, but we'll do our best. Uh, you're going to be in the studio all by yourself, huh? Just yeah. You and Johnny. Just me and Johnny. And awkward is <laughs> what we do. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we will be right back. Our guest tonight is Kevin T. Heim. Kevin is an author who has written horror-related crossover fiction. Kevin's expertise in crossovers was a valuable asset to Winscott Eckert in writing his crossovers, A Secret Chronology of the World, and to me. Kevin Heim was both the editor and research contributor for both of my published works, The Horror Crossover Encyclopedia and Intelligent Crossover Universe World of Mythology, Volume 1. Kevin is also responsible for the Ivan Shablowski Chronology that appears at TelgenCrossOverUniverse.com, which is in the top five most viewed posts on that site. So welcome to the show, Kevin. The secret is I keep clicking it myself. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> Y'all should do that. All of our own stuff will be right up there at the top. All right. So, um, Kevin, I, uh, welcome to the show. and um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, so um, first, I wanted to ask you, um, since um, you are deep into our world of fictional crossovers, what drew you to become interested in fictional crossovers? Oh well, like you, I guess uh, Scooby Doo. Mm, yeah, Scooby Doo and yep. Batman. I mean, <laughs> Saturday mornings it was always you know Scooby Doo, and after school it was always uh, Batman, along with the other stuff that came on the the local independent station that we had back in that day that I went to school that I'm not going to, you know, name because that was a long time ago. <laughs> but, but the important thing here is, you know, Scooby-Doo met different characters from different shows, and Batman tended to meet characters from other shows on his own show. Right. And then Scooby-Doo and Batman met on Scooby-Doo, so both of my little realms of characters meeting each other all combined into one giant realm. So you, and that was it. You must be a big fan of both the Batman 66 comic and the Scooby-Doo team-up comic then. Oh, tremendously so, yeah. Yeah. There, you know, yeah. Sorry that Batman 66 got canceled, but uh, if all we get now is these uh, mini-series based on assorted crossovers, I can live with that. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like that's the direction they're going. Um, uh, you know, continuing the, the Green Hornet and the Man from U.N.C.L.E. that they're going to keep doing more TV crossovers in, in Batman 66. So I, I, I am hoping so. Um, so you also write a lot within the realm of horror. Uh, so what is it that draws you to that genre? Oh, well, I've always been a, a fan of the old classic universals and starting with Abbott and Costello and working my way backwards, I discovered these crossovers that meant all these characters took place in the same world. So that was a third realm, I guess. But for me, Scooby-Doo and Batman merged into one, so I just went ahead and fudged the line a little and 
put all of it together mm-hmm. into one big giant crossover world in my head. If I can ask you, Kevin, is there a, since you're a big fan of not only Scooby-Doo and Batman, but of also the crossovers, is there any chance that, like me, you can also appreciate a crossover of genres as well as just characters? Yes, yes, very much. Um, when I say crossover, of course, usually I'm talking about characters meeting characters from other franchises, other media, but a crossover between two different completely foreign genres, to me, if they pull it off right, that's much better because that is entertainment that you didn't even think was possible. Sort of like the Punisher and Archie, right? I thought the Punisher Archie was very clever. I wouldn't go so far as to call it awesome sauce, but I'm sure you would. <laughs> yes, I would, and exactly awesome sauce, too. <laughs> yeah, I agree that it was awesome sauce, actually. <laughs> I mean, last year, I think they did an Archie Sharknado crossover. I read that one. That maybe wasn't as well executed, but it, it showed a lot of heart. How about Archie and Predator? I was less impressed by that one. Mm. I I didn't think it really stayed as true to the characters from Archie as it could have. Yeah, not, I agree. Not if the Predator could take Sabrina Spellman out that easily, no way. <laughs> and not if the Predator could be turned into a giant clone of Archie. Oh, spoiler alert, the Predator gets turned into a giant clone of Archie. <laughs> Well, you know, they also had a JLA version of the Predators, so. <laughs> yes, another crossover I could have done without. Yeah. But the first Batman Predator crossover? Yeah. Reading that was like reading an actual movie. I loved that. I would love for them to feel like that every time. Yeah, that was better than it had any right to be. And contrast to, based on what I, I believe Kevin once said was, the attempted triple crossover of Aliens versus Predator versus Terminator. Yeah, I, I don't remember commenting on that, but I do definitely uh, not like it. It was it was just done so they could combine the characters. There was no real thought put into making the story work. So, uh, in be- my opinion, I'm, I'm sure somebody thought it would work because they wrote it, and somebody else <laughs> thought it was worth publishing. Well, but you know, not everything Dark Horse does works. Alien Kaching, Predator Kaching, Terminator Kaching. So there's three Kachings. You know, lots of money is what they were thinking, probably. But who cares about, about Terminator? He's so hot right now. Yeah, you should have kept it yourself. <laughs> but your fantasies are your own, Kevin. <laughs> so be- besides horror, what other genres interest you, and what areas do you like to write in? Oh, well, that's uh, tricky. You're you're wanting to know what other areas I like to write in besides horror? Yeah. To be perfectly honest, since I lump all of my stories into one world, I consider every story I write to be part of a horror world. Mm. Even if there's no horror elements in the story. Right. Which means that there's always, like, some sort of a dark undertone lurking in the shadows, and there's always shadows. <laughs> nice. So, so one of your stories, uh, Redux, 
is redux the right word? Redux of the living dead? Am I pronouncing that right? That's how I pronounce it. Okay, uh, so that that appears in Psychopomp Halloween special, um, and it's available on Amazon and other websites if you Google it. Um, was included in the horror crossover encyclopedia. It's heavy with crossovers. Um, so um, I just I just reread it, and um, I, I love the I love the voice of the the Frankenstein monster. You you or as he says. He, you know they call me monster. <laughs> uh, I, well, thank I, yeah, he. I, I mean, just the way you wrote him from the first person uh, was was how I imagine him. Um, uh, so, what was the inspiration for uh, this particular version or variation of the Frankenstein monster as the star of that story? I've always liked the character of the Frankenstein monster, especially in the Universal movies, but. I usually see him either as a tragic character who's maybe a little bit of a whiner like he was in Van Helsing, or as a, more of a straight monster, misunderstood sometimes, but still a monster who's bent on destruction. So I took more of a, I guess Ben Grimm and Hellboy mm. lent more of their personalities to my version than any of the others I've seen. I, I have read uh, Dean Koontz's version of Frankenstein since after I wrote that story, and I think those two aren't completely incompatible. I mean, story-wise they are, but personality-wise they could work. Right. Uh, could you speak on some of the other crossovers in that story, and uh, what interest inspired you to make some of those connections? Ah, well, uh, John Lindsay and I used to be on a group together where... Uh, for a while, we were challenging each other to write different crossovers. Mm. Like, how will this go? Yeah, uh, he started it by asking me about, you know, how how would a Tarzan versus Dracula story work? So I gave a rough outline of what that story would have been, and then I gave him one, and we went back and forth, and eventually it turned into writing the full blown stories out instead of just right an outline. And uh, there were a lot of stories involved in that little game we were playing, I had one that was Captain America meeting Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. <laughs> and I, I thought that one was really good. But with those characters being copyrighted, obviously, right. I wasn't going to be able to get that published somewhere. With zombies and the Frankenstein monster... It's a lot easier to get a story about those published, even with the, the references in there. And if I may so plug, sorry, I was going to say if no, I may, ahead, oh, thanks. If I may plug for Kevin, some of his stuff is up on the Monster website for free reading. Yes, it is. I can't get the stuff published if it's got copyrighted materials that would, you know, get me shut down. Right. But showing it off for free is usually okay. Yeah. Yeah, it falls under the the fan fiction, like um, legality thing when when yeah. when you do that, which is cool. Yeah, like when people dress up as characters for cosplay. And, Sometimes uh, they do it in ways that are violating the copyright and the trademark and the registered logos and what have you. But as long as they're not making money off it, right. they usually don't get harassed. Right, if they're not charging for pictures and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, as uh, Chris just mentioned, um, uh, you're all over the web. 
<laughs> and I was Googling you, and I found out that you have an actor credit on IMDb. Uh, you were in a documentary. True. Yeah, you were in a documentary called The History of Halloween. So how is it you became involved in that short documentary? Well, I live in Salem, Massachusetts, and you may not know this, but Salem, Massachusetts is somewhat associated with Halloween. <gasps> really? It's true. Oh, I'm, yes. I'm shocked. So when they uh, put out the announcement that they were looking for people to wear costumes for a documentary about Halloween, despite the fact that it was in late June or possibly early July, I forget which, I said, hey, I wear costumes. So I did it. <laughs> True story. So um, uh, what was the documentary about more specifically than the history of Halloween, which is in the title? Well, they do obviously cover the history of Halloween. They start by talking about the traditions of the Druids and other groups of people that were around back 3000 BC-ish. Mm -hmm. They talk about the traditions associated with the harvest and things that went with honoring the dead. And they slowly build their way up to present day talk about how the traditions of trick-or-treating got started. And uh, it's all done very humorously, but it's a lot of factual information. Now, that, that's, a, that's only available to be seen in Salem at a particular theater in the month of October. Is that correct? I'm afraid so. That is Cinema Salem, and that airs in their special little theater that's got it's all it's in 3D, so the, they can show 3D movies in there, thankfully. Now, but they it, only air it during the month of October because they probably think nobody's going to pay money to see, at least not enough money, is going to be made from airing a movie about Halloween outside of October. Right. Um, now, so according to IMDb, you played a dancing Ghostbuster and mad scientist. Um, but I spoke to you earlier, um, and... You said, actually, you were playing um, our own Ivan Shabosky in that film. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. The mad scientist was actually a Herbert West-looking Ivan Shabosky who uh, occasionally moonlights... Uh, moonlight's not the right word for it. He occasionally works for a Herbert West and is sort of a reanimation technician. Not not a real scientist. Okay. And then of course Ivan does the Ghostbusters thing, so Ghostbusters. <laughs> How does Ivan feel about you dressing up like him? I try not to feel Ivan, so I don't know how he <laughs> feels right now. I mean we're okay. only on the phone, so it's not like I can reach over and touch him and let you know. <laughs> I just hope you don't imitate him so closely that you stink up the bathroom like he does after Doritos. <laughs> so I thought you could I, duplicate that. I, I don't want to spend time with Ivan. No offense, Ivan. Oh, yeah, thanks. You know what? <laughs> oh, you can't see that because we're not in the same room. <laughs> no, and I can't smell it either, but I'm sure it's something disgusting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Easy now, guys. Um... 
So, Kevin, you were among many that contributed research to Winscott Eckert for his two-volume uh, crossovers, The Secret Chronology of the World, but one of the few that were named in the acknowledgments. Um, you were said to, be, to have supplied some modern horror information. Um, how did you find yourself involved in that project? Uh, the same with everybody else who was involved by being part of Wynn's uh, discussion groups. But I happen to know a lot about horror movies, so I contributed a lot about horror movies. Mm. And I read a lot, so I contributed about horror stories I'd read to. It, I got involved with the whole Walt Newton thing through uh, a friend named Michael Norwitz. Yep, uh, I know. He, he and I used to write amalgam comics fan fiction together. And when he was telling me about other crossover stuff, Amalgam-style crossovers. He told me about the world in which Tarzan and Doc Savage were related. I'd already read Tarzan Alive at this point, but I didn't really know there was anything more about it online. So that that became something I instantly jumped into as soon as I found out that that was a, a big community. Cool. And uh, you're also known to be the biographer for our for the adventures of our own Ivan Shabotsky. How did this relationship begin? Um, I guess I first found out about Ivan in the 80s when I was in high school, because I'm that old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. That's something in my throat. Not cheese. <laughs> so... Ivan can't write, but he's done some interesting <laughs> things. I can write, but I have done much fewer of the interesting things. So, uh, writing about Ivan. So is the chocolate and the peanut butter, and the peanut butter and the chocolate. An amalgamation <laughs> of two great things, so to speak. So um, I'm not sure I would say that I'm a great thing. And I'm not sure I would say that Ivan is great, but there's definitely a thing. Yes. When you when you posted Ivan's chronology a few years back on the TVCU website, it was meant to be part of a April first themed event for the TVCU crew, um, in which in which the TVCU crew members are placed within the television crossover universe. Um, but it has become our fifth most viewed post, only falling behind My Little Pony, Offspring is Ed, the Doctor Who universe and Three Stooges. Were you surprised by the success of this post? Uh, surprised that it was as successful as it has been, yes. I, I don't actually click on the link every day, just to clarify. <laughs> but I knew it was going to be big and cover a lot of genres because it was really originally going to be part of just the outline to a memoir about Ivan with Ivan's help, called The Strange Life of Interesting Times of Ivan Rolochablowski, in which we just documented everything that happened in his somewhat strange life. Of course, since Ivan can't write, that project hasn't gotten very far, because he can't really write someone else's memoir from them entirely. They need to contribute at least a little bit. <laughs> so the Ghostbuster is also a ghostwriter. I, I do not think of myself as a ghostwriter. If I was a ghostwriter, I would have written that story, and that would be that. <laughs> Everybody would think I was Ivan Ronald Kablowski, and wouldn't that suck? <laughs> <laughs> 
I have no comment. <laughs> they smell completely differently, trust me. So um, besides Ivan's chronology, you've also co-written a Godzilla post with me that has started picking up in popularity, uh, and also a chronology on your Our Show comics timeline. Any plans for any future TVCU endeavors? Yes. Uh, you might remember a piece that Ivan did about werewolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I helped him a lot with that, too. Uh, that was There was originally an article about the Talbots for the Walt Newton stuff, but there was also a a full-blown continuity of werewolf history in the real world as well as werewolf fiction. And uh, the idea was, once the the whole TBCU thing got going with the the blog articles, blogs and articles, but what what do you think? Articles? Just articles? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So with those articles, uh, the idea was to resurrect the old timeline, revamp it so it applies to the television crossover universe, and make some kind of, uh, I don't know, blog article out of it. Hasn't happened yet, but eventually, eventually it will. You know, it's funny you bring up that um, uh, history of lycanthropy which I'm probably also mispronouncing um, from way back then. That's actually part of the, the, my origin story leading to where we are right now. Um, when I first discovered the Walden Universe website, uh, one of the first things I found was a link to that, um, um, that chronology, the lycanthropy chronology, and I posted a review, a rave review of it on my MySpace, that's how long ago it was, uh, blog, uh, which went Scott Eckert saw and that's how i came to be invited to um the Woolnoon family yahoo group another another archaic term yahoo um so um which is how i met the tvcu crew and was inspired to do the tvcu thing so (laughs) so it was actually that werewolf chronology was part was part of that (laughs) genesis well i could contribute yeah uh, and, and speaking of uh, the TVCU um, blog post, um, we uh, I mentioned the the Our Show universe. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what that is and how it came to be and has evolved? Okay, that one actually goes back to 1979. Mm-hmm. I I used to write stories about a superhero called Captain Kevin, but the Captain was spelled with a K. Right. I, I knew that that was misspelled, but, you know, it, it looks better with a KK symbol on his chest, because that's what he had, a KK symbol on his chest. At it, least it, it was only two. Yes, <laughs> just two. <laughs> so Captain Kevin would hang out with other superheroes like Mighty Mike and Super Speedy Scott, because mm-hmm. I forced my friends to be superheroes as well, and I feel bad about that, but... <laughs> These things happen. Uh, that's kind of inspired by uh, movies like Hero at Large mm-hmm. and the TV series The Greatest American Hero. Right. And wound up developing into more of a mainstream Marvel, DC comic book universe with these stories in order to be able to have them interact with certain storylines I read in comic books. I populated it with parodies of Marvel and DC characters. I 
use the characters that were in Inferior Five and Marvel's not brand X comics. Yeah, just to, and they were more or less placeholders. It was so if I wanted Captain Kevin to meet Spider Man, it said he would be the Cobweb Kid because that was the character in the Inferior Five comics. Once I got into college, I met another guy who was doing a lot of the same thing. With you know, he made his friends into superheroes and. He and I, it turned out, both made costumes of our characters. So, uh, as embarrassing as it was to see me wearing spandex, uh, he he had it even worse, I guess, because his character was more patterned off of Robin the Boy Wonder. <laughs> oh, no. He was Scotty the Boy Blunder. My mine looked a little more like a Superman type but without any muscles whatsoever. So while my stories were all considered show comics because all the different superhero groups on the planet joined together in a superhero organization of the world, show for short. Yeah. The stories that he wrote were called Our Comics. Mm. H-O-U-R. So once we started working together, having his characters meet my characters, and then his characters, my characters, formed their own teams together, it was our show, Comics. And uh, I should point out that um, the, uh, the Vronsky-verse of, of mine has similar origins, actually tracing back to the greatest American hero as well, and then becoming more of a superhero universe, uh, like DC and Marvel, and... Um, uh, a few years ago, Kevin and I were were, were plotting out our, our own um, crossover between Power Kid and Kid Kilovolt, <laughs> our two our two characters. Um, that kind of phased away, but <laughs> that would be fun to work on again. <laughs> it would. Yeah. That's future plans for. And Kevin. then we could have our characters team up to beat up Centurion because he's <laughs> obviously a dark antihero. From from what I heard on that earlier podcast where we interviewed Chris. Yeah. That was coming. <laughs> Which I reiterate again, I'm at any chance that Kid Kilovolt will come back, Ivan's in a new project. For, I, I mean, pretending to... Be, not been feeling well today. I'm talking to the wrong people. I almost called Rob James. Anyway, I'm saying, is there any chance of Kid Kilovolt coming back under your byline, Kevin? You know, I haven't even mentioned the fact that I turned Captain Kevin into Kid Kilovolt in later years, but thanks for the segue. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I still like the character of Kid Kilovolt, even though Kid Kilovolt would have to be in his 40s now because I'm in my 40s now. Right. Yeah. But he's a kid at heart and probably mentality, so I think the name sticks. I, I liked when we were talking about the idea of doing... Um, both ways, where um, it was like Kid Killavolt, it was like retro stories, Super Bob and um, Captain Kevin, and then Power Kid and Kid Killavolt, and then like a, a more modern <laughs> version with with older characters <laughs> to show show that we were both like silly and evolved with our characters. You know, Captain Kevin and Super Bob are about as <laughs> cheesy as you can get. <laughs> They are a little on the cheesy side, yeah. Yeah, but you know... In, in my retroactive continuity, or retcon, as we call it in the business, I had it where he was always called Kid Killable, 
But because he was a kid, it was pretty easy for people to figure out who he was, and they wound up assuming that the KK on his shirt stood for Captain Kevin instead uh, of a killable. Clever. So he was outed <laughs> yeah. early on in his career. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of like the idea, though, of um, like putting, putting silly characters into a modern, more realistic world, but keeping the characters themselves silly. <laughs> you know? Like uh, a yeah. Guys, didn't Saturday Night Live once have their own spoof of of uh of superheroes? I remember there was one called Stapler and another one and one other one was called Mr. Cool on the team and that there was uh Timex, a guy who reversed time like 5 seconds or so. Uh, am I the only one who remembers this? I don't I don't know. They they recently did one where um Oh, what's that? What's that new new comedian? She's going to be in Ghostbusters. Um any, any, anyway, Melissa she, McCarthy. No, no, one of the other ones. Um, anyway, she she had the power of flight, but she could only use it twice a day, and she could only fly as fast as she can walk. <laughs> <laughs> wow, how that's impressive! And then, and then they're like, then she starts flying. She's like, "Look, I'm doing it now." And they're like, "Don't waste it." No, nope, this is my second one. <laughs> and Chris. You you are remembering a sketch called the Interesting Four. Ah, uh, okay. Thank you for looking it up real quick. No, no, I remember it. I have it completely memorized in my brain. There was an army general who needed the help of superheroes because aliens were invading. They were going to call on the Fantastic Four, but they weren't available, so they called the Interesting Four. I'm glad it wasn't just a fever dream of mine that I did actually see it on Saturday Night Live. And their Mr. Fantastic character was called Mr. Spectacular, and he was more like a, a smarmy Las Vegas-style game show host instead of being someone with actual powers. Now, the others had powers that were just really bad powers. Well, didn't that first guy you mentioned, Mr. Wonderful, was it? Didn't a radioactive accident fuse his, his microphone to his hand so he was, like, always on as an announcer or something or MC or... Am that I part I don't remember. Okay. But you must remember the stapler. Oh, I remember the stapler. And I remember Timex. <laughs> and it was actually the human stapler, not the stapler. But I was close. You were close. They were all parodies of the Fantastic Four. So, the human stapler. Hey, if we can sometimes call Spider-Man's enemy the human fly and at other times just the fly, well, why can't we sometimes just call the human stapler the stapler? Especially when we forget his whole name. You, you know that the human spider, or the, the human fly and the fly were two different characters in Marvel, right? Well, yeah, but that's when, but wasn't that when Marvel, when they were separate characters was when Marvel was licensing supposedly the real-life motorcycle daredevil guy who had his own comic for a time in Marvel. But then Mar Spider-Man also had an enemy called the Human Fly who debuted as such, I believe, in one of the... Um, the Spider-Man annuals, I think Peter Parker's the spectacular Spider-Man annual, but then they started calling him just the fly once the human fly, the daredevil guy, got his comic book, and then after they lost the license, then he became the human fly again. Am I? Does anyone else remember this too? I think you're crazy. I, 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 <laughs> oh, I swear I'm not making this up. I, I, I have no idea, actually. <laughs> That that sounds roughly correct. I'm I'm not gonna bother looking it up because 
I don't really care that much. But I, I think that covers it for the most part. Yeah. There were two different characters, but when Marvel stopped paying for the rights to do the Daredevil's character, and that, you know, the fly Daredevil, not Daredevil, the Daredevil. And would, would the yes. fly license even have taken place if not for the big evil Knievel craze during that decade? Well, it could have. I think it's unlikely, but since he was a normal human being wearing a bizarre costume and doing things that seemed beyond the abilities of mortal men, the idea of putting him in a comic book was natural. Whether Evil Knievel was popular or not, this guy, I mean, yeah, he did stunts, and I think he did stunts on a motorcycle like you said, but I definitely remember that he climbed one of the towers of the World Trade Center. And that was what it. put him in the spotlight. Well, let's face it, it was probably too expensive for Marvel to, to license Evil Knievel himself anyway, but I bet they would have loved to have done it. Wait, I think they did produce an Evil Knievel comic book, but it, it was like a giveaway with just one of the toys or something. I, I swear, because my grandmother brought me home an Evil Knievel comic book, like one of those giveaway type of things that Whitman used to produce and everything. I, and, do, I do believe there was an Evil Knievel comic book at some point. I think I think he licensed something. But, uh, so, um, you touched upon this earlier, <laughs> segueing back, um, uh, you touched upon earlier, Kevin, how you write all of your work within a, a horror based universe. Um, now that would be the monster hunter universe. Is that correct? Yes. These days I'm calling it the monster hunter universe. Used to be Miskatonic so, something, right? Miskatonic uh, university. Miskatonic uni- horror universe. Yeah. MHU. So, um, but it definitely goes beyond Lovecraft stuff to the point that actual fans of Lovecraft would probably not consider this to be a Lovecraftian universe. Right. How does how does this shared reality uh, that you write in compare to or differ from other fictional shared realities out there like the TVCU horror universe, Will Newton universe, or the crossover universe? Uh, the biggest difference is that there are horror stories that can't fit easily into most of the popular crossover realities mm-hmm. because of characters that have already done things that conflict with it. Star Trek is considered by many to be part of the Walt Newton universe. And that's right. one possible history but they don't want anything that would directly conflict with that being the history. Right. And there are plenty of Star Trek crossovers involved in the television crossover universe. Right. I consider Alien to be the franchise that shows what the future is going to be because Alien is a horror franchise. If you take Alien and Star Trek you realize there's no way those can actually take place in the same reality. Right, right. Yeah, those are definitely different different divergent timelines. But we might be able to accommodate, like, the the Firefly um, series into the Alien um, universe, correct? Or future? Firefly would fit pretty easily into Alien. And maybe Riddick? I don't think there's room for maybe Riddick, 
it's far enough in the future that it bypasses most of the stuff that happens in aliens, so there could be other alien races found that humans are interacting with. Right. I just don't see that. Star Trek, with humans interacting with aliens on a regular basis, as early as they are, being compatible with the horror that happens in the movie Alien. Yeah. Plus, the technology wasn't as advanced in Alien for the for the time period as as it should be if it was the same Star Trek universe um, as well. It, they were still they were still using guns that fired lead projectiles. In fact, no energy weapons. And it was and Aliens more of a capitalistic future as opposed to um, the socialist future of um, Star Trek. Yeah. I, I, well, I'm all for socialism. Don't get me wrong. I, okay, I, Kevin, I just enjoy don't... socialism on paper. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Like um, Star Trek had that optimistic um, feel to it. That alien, alien definitely is like the opposite of that. You know, Star Trek people were free from want, the average person. But in the alien future, nah, the company controlled it all for profit. Yeah, and and greed, greed was kind of like the the main problem. Like, oh, maybe we should just leave that alien alone. No money. <laughs> you know. Well, Star Trek: The Next Generation, anyway. That one had a lot of the socialism ideas pushed on you. How. This is our perfect society, and this is how we got to be this perfect society. And yeah. I think there was a season one episode where they even highlighted that by having some people who were frozen yep. from the early 21st century fall out and uh, find out that all their money means nothing now. Right, which which actually isn't completely true because there's, there's some commercialism. I mean, Deep Space Nine showed that, and, you know, mud you know in the in the original series was definitely you know a, you know a greedy you know um you know bandit of of sorts and con artist uh you know they just well, use the different form they just use different forms of currency well as, as, as my good friend and, and collaborator gordon long once said or i should say theorize which is why in my groups we call him the master theorist he said basically on the frontiers of the federation there were still individuals which followed i guess we could call it by then the old ways, including um, those miners on, on the planet with the, with the Horda. They were an example. And, uh, you know, so that's why they did have, the Federation did have a type of credit which they can use in interacting with these, with these colonists in these outer areas that did still use profit. And then there were races like the Ferengi. Right. Who still use a solid form of currency in a, what was it? Um, Latinum. Gold-plated, gold-laced Latin. Yeah. Which, which, um, it's which may be going a little off-topic to ask you, um, um, Kevin. But f- in terms of what you include in, in the for the for the Monster Hunter future, is it possible you can include certain video games like um, Halo? That's something I'm wondering. I think that might be able to fit. But you're the main curator, so I'm wondering what you think. I like Halo, and I like that there are certain crossovers within the Halo franchise. I haven't played it myself, but I don't think there's anything inherently preventing it from being in the horror crossover universe, just because it does take place far enough in the future where it's not going to interfere with the things that are definitely in. 
And I'm sure you know that now, thanks to the wonders of YouTube, a lot of gamers put the cutscenes and, and walkthroughs on there, and we can watch it as a movie, so non-gamers can can enjoy the saga of Halo. For anyone wants to do research, and I have done that, but just like when you watch the cutscenes that are put together from the Ghostbusters video game, what you're missing is all of the story that gets told during actual gameplay. Mm. So I don't know if there's things that happen that I can't see in a cutscene video that would cause it to conflict. Some gamers... That's the only reason I don't say for sure. Yeah, some gamers include um, basically their gameplay, but others do not, so I guess you have to do a little bit of searching on there. But I do like Halo. I'm I'm glad you you can at least consider it as part of that timeline, that particular future timeline. So uh, we're... It definitely has potential. We're just about out of time. So I had a final question for you that came from Matt Hickman in our, in our uh, Facebook forum. Uh, Ghostbusters. I, I'm not sure that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that, that sounds more like the name of a movie. <laughs> that, that was his question. Uh, <laughs> So, um, okay, hold on. um let, let me ask this then. Since, since we're on the subject of Ghostbusters, uh, like over half of the Ivan timeline is about stuff that happened after 2012 when Ivan's a Ghostbuster. Right. Which, and since I remember that happening, but I also remember that my life started in 1979, and there's a whole lot of stuff that happened before. 2012. So I'm I'm kind of curious as to why all the stuff that happens with me as a Ghostbuster overshadows everything else that's happened in my life. <laughs> well, really, I just write the stuff that seems interesting, and mostly I have the photographic evidence to prove, because you tell me a lot of stuff that... I won't believe unless I can see it, and you can't prove it. So, yeah, you can tell me that you actually met the Incredible Hulk when you were nine years old at the Carl Casper Custom Auto Show, but I'm not going to put that in the timeline because that just sounds like somebody bragging about things and, and quite frankly, makes no sense. And, you, you know, Ivan, to be... I have the- Ivan, to be fair, every time I've seen you, you've been wearing a Ghostbusters outfit. <laughs> well, every time you've seen me, it's been at a convention. Well, except for at the studio. You don't wear it at the studio. <laughs> no, no, that, that would be dumb. Because I'm not going to bust ghosts there. You realize that place is crawling with deadites, right? If I were to start fighting the undead at the studio, somebody would be out of a job really quick. And I'm guessing it would be us. That's okay, right. They would not let us back in. That's right. The deadites are our, our parent organization. So, <laughs> well, sometimes when you think you're smelling a deadite, it might have been, you know, basically Ivan may have been visiting the studio that they used the bathroom. But anyway, um, yeah. So um, before we wrap up, uh, Kevin, um, do you want to uh, plug any projects or your social media? My social media. Surprisingly, I'm not very active on social media. I. I'm a family, well, okay, I have a family. I can't really say I'm a family man. That would be misrepresenting myself. 
And the Lord knows I don't ever want to misrepresent myself on the Internet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I, I don't like revealing personal things about myself online. I'm not going to go and post pictures of my dinner or tweet about how I'm stuck in traffic or whatever it is that people do with social media. It's, it's just not my thing. All right. Um, well, thank you, Kevin, for coming on. And um, uh, thank it's a pleasure. And uh, we really appreciate it. It was a it was a great time. Um, so we're gonna let you go, and and then we will be uh, back in a minute. Well, that's all the time we've got for tonight. Uh, join us next week when we'll be talking with author Matthew Denyon. Before we end, I want to thank our sponsors, Jeff Oresti, who once more has come to our rescue to keep the show going through his crowdfunding contribution, uh, and to Arkham Ghostbusters. And a special thanks to Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme music. Thanks to all who listened. Remember to subscribe to and rate our show on iTunes. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.